And we are over in Acts chapter 18, finishing up this chapter and moving on into the next. As Paul was over in the city of Athens ministering, and we see that he stayed a, a little while there. I'm sorry, over in, uh, yeah, in Athens. And uh, he, he stayed there for a little while. And we pick it up here in verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off as Sancria, for he had taken a vow. Now, the he here, there is a little bit of question as to who they are talking about. It could be Paul. It also could be Paulus, because he's also mentioned as going with him. No idea who it is, and I can't really see that it makes too much of a bearing. Uh, some kind of a vow was taken by one of these two men, and they decided that when they got there, they had their hair cut off. So uh, I heard somebody say it's some kind of a Nazarite vow. To me, that's kind of like an anti-Nazarite vow because as far as I know, they were supposed to not cut their hair. Yeah, I would not take a Nazarite vow. I like short hair. Yeah, I just like short hair. I like longer it is, the harder it is to take care of. You know, I just don't, don't like all that. So uh, anyway, had the hair cut off because of a vow. And Priscilla and Aquila went with them. Now, Priscilla, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, Priscilla is mentioned first. And that's significant because usually, remember when Paul and Barnabas were there, it was Barnabas and Paul, and then it became Paul and Barnabas because the more significant one is mentioned first, which tells you that of the two, Priscilla was the more significant as far as ministry was concerned. But it seems that her husband went along with her to help her in a lot of the things. But it seemed that she was more at the forefront as Paul became more at the forefront with him and Barnabas. Not that Barnabas didn't do anything at all. It's just that the more prominent one was mentioned first. And so here we have Priscilla and Aquila. Now we're going to see later on here that she is not mentioned first just a little while. And there's a reason for that too. And we'll see. But uh, And he came to Ephesus and left them there, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. They, they left the place they were. Remember, they had a house there. They had a business there. And Paul took them, took them with him and brought them on down to Ephesus. And he came to Ephesus. And when Paul goes, he's going to leave them here in Ephesus. And they're going to continue the work here in Ephesus. It's amazing how quickly this friendship has built up. That from then, they've taken him into the house to um, uh, them following Paul into the next area of ministry now. He was there for a little while, and they had some time to, to build this up, but they were willing to up and move, which meant their business and everything. They, they moved on along with him. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Well, once again, we're over here in the synagogue, and we're reasoning with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, and I will return again to see you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. So he left the, the town here, left them over in it. He didn't stay very long. Apparently, it was just a short time. He's over here in Ephesus for this, uh, for this uh, time of ministry, and he wanted to go on. His desire was to be in Jerusalem for the time of the feast. So he was kind of in a hurry to do that. Now, some people will pick on Paul later on for being in a hurry to get to Jerusalem before another feast. And they say that's why he missed God, because he was in a hurry. But he's in a hurry here, and nobody points to this as him missing God. 
And he does make it over to Jerusalem. Not a whole lot is made of it. Makes it over to Jerusalem for the feast and then uh, takes off and, and leaves again. He says, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Now, some translations put if God willing. The if is not in the Greek. There is another time in James where it says if God is willing and the if is there. It is not here. He just says God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. Now, if you can pull up our map again for us, we're going to see. Now, Caesarea is a port city for Jerusalem. So if anything is coming in for a port, this is where it would come in at. And so he is sailing from Ephesus and he comes all the way down along here and lands over here at Caesarea. He then goes to Jerusalem. Now, it says in the Bible here that after he had... um, he had landed at Caesarea and gone, what? Up and greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. Now, does this not look like it's down to Jerusalem and up to Antioch? Except for the fact that Jerusalem's on a hill. And generally, anytime you go up to, the, to the Jerusalem for a feast, it's called going up to Jerusalem. And so that's probably more what it was than uh, south and north and and so forth, we would think there. But he lands over here at Caesarea. He comes down here to Jerusalem, goes to the feast. Not a whole lot is made of it. He just kind of goes there. It just says in the, in the Bible, they had gone up and greeted the church. What church did he greet? Jerusalem. That's where he was going. He, was, he greeted the church in Jerusalem. And then he went from there to Antioch. That's his home base. And so he heads, he heads up over there. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over. he went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Now, going back to our, to our map there, just for a moment. So he comes over here, and then he stops, and he rests for a while. Just says he stays there for a bit. He's not there to minister. He is there to rest right now. He has been going. Uh, this, this is the trip that he took. He went all the way up all in this way, all the way over in here, sailed back over here, walked on down to Jerusalem, hiked it back on up here to Antioch. How many of you be tired? And he's ministering all this time in all these places. And it says over here when he's in Ephesus, he didn't stay very long. Now, where is Ephesus? It is in Asia. What happened when he went through this part? He didn't stop because the Spirit... Well, actually, he went through it. He's, he's there, but he does not teach because Spirit didn't let him. The Spirit said no. But apparently, it was okay here. Right? Spirit didn't stop him. So he went ahead and, and preached here, and Ephesus became quite a, quite a church a city. But Paul does not spend a whole lot of time with them right now. Other people will, not Paul. But Paul just gets in there, and he perks their interest. He gets them interested. They want him to stay longer. They like some of the things that he's sharing. They're very open to it. And this is a place, when he gets here to Ephesus, we're going to see something very different that has not happened in the other places. Now, it will eventually happen, but it doesn't happen yet. He goes into the synagogue, reasons with the Jews, and no one gets mad. (laughs) Now, he gets out of there probably before anybody has time to get mad. Sometimes it takes a couple of weeks for people to get mad. But he gets out of there before that happens. And uh, he's probably not just reasoning one day a week like he was over over in uh, Athens when he was uh, out of money and so forth. But uh, over here in Ephesus, it seems that... He was uh, doing so more and just couldn't stay. They said, please stay with us longer. We don't really hear about that too many times. The people are begging him to leave. Most of the time when he leaves, he's being kicked out. 
or carried out or something like that. He's just, uh, but here they actually asked him to stay. And he says, no, no, I want to get on down to Jerusalem for the feast. He heads on down to Jerusalem. He gets on down there for the, for the feast and then heads on back up to Antioch. And now he's going to rest for a while. And after he rests for a while, then he's going to pick it all back up again. And he is going to go after this uh, some more. Uh, now, I did bring over some more maps. I hope I did bring them up, but I forgot to give them to more. To our guy beforehand, so it's pretty self-explanatory. I think it just says third missionary journey somewhere in the thing. So if you can just pull that up and get it ready for us later on, we're going to see some of the things that will go on with that. So it says that he is going to, after he had spent some time there, we're not told how long, but he spent some time. That's probably more than just a couple of weeks. So if you ever wonder if it's okay for you to take a vacation and just not do anything, Paul did. He went on down there and spent some time there and. And just uh, kind of rested up. doesn't say that he reasoned with anybody or went over anything. He just kind of stayed there. And then he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order. And so we see that Galatia and the places that it includes here on this map, we can see some of the places that, that uh, he was going to go back through Galatia and minister to some of the places that they had already been to. Uh, a lot of times on their missionary trips, they go back to the cities where they had first gone, in order to, to strengthen the brethren that are there. Again, the first trip they did was more into this area. The second trip they did was covering these areas. Uh, Barnabas took the southern area. Paul took the northern area. And then they extended out into this, this area. Now they're going to go back on through and visit all the cities uh, again. Some of them are going to get skipped. Some of them are going to be, uh, be ministered to again. Do you have that map ready for you? Okay, you just give me a holler when you have it ready. And we'll, we'll go. So verse, um, verse 24, and you can just follow along in your Bibles if you have that open while uh, Daryl tries to pull that up for us. It says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, he was an eloquent man. Now Alexandria is down along this area. It is in Egypt. Alexandria is a city that was founded by, guess, Alexander. It was actually a city that was built for the purpose of a peace treaty between Egypt and the Greek Empire. Alexander was going around conquering the world. He came over to Egypt and says, we don't want to fight. We're going to build a city. We're going to make it our capital, and we're going to call it after you. And so he was okay with that, and so there was no battle there, and Egypt didn't have to go through all the, all the fighting and all the, the stuff that would go on with that. So um, Alexander was born. Alexander became quite a city. There was a library at Alexander that was legendary. In those days, and they had a fire there, and most of the things were lost, but some of the things that were in there were, were quite astounding. It was the largest, as far as I know, it was the largest library in the day at that time. And uh, they had a number of other things, it became a big port city, and a number of other things uh, of uh, significance. It was, a, it was quite, a, quite a city. I believe it's, uh, I've seen some pictures of it, it still looks like it's quite a city today. But he was born, this is a Jew who was born at Alexandria. Now, if you're a Jew, you're born at Alexandria. You are schooled, of course, by your parents and those that are they're around. They're, they're schooled in the Old Testament. They would know the Old Testament. They would know the way of the law. They would know such things as this. And so Apollos was schooled in these things. But along the way, some of the disciples had come along to Alexandria, and they preached about Jesus, and he took hold of this, and he became saved, and he became born again. And he... in was going into ministry. He was doing some things. He was teaching some things. And along the way, he happened to come to Ephesus. Well, God called him to go to Ephesus. 
Uh, he knew some people there, whatever the reason was. He goes to Ephesus, and when he gets there, he meets up with the people that Paul brought, but Paul leaves behind. So he's born at Alexandria. He was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, and he came to, to, to Ephesus. Now, Apollos, you, you know about Apollos. Apollos is uh, pretty well known. Uh, he was, the word of God calls him, mighty in the scriptures. Now, who else in this day and age would, use, would you use that kind of description for? I can only think of one person. Paul. He's the only one I can think of who, was, who would call mighty in the scriptures. There are people who knew the scriptures, but they did not know it as far as life was concerned. Paul did. Peter, I never really see him uh, too much with that. I mean, he had some knowledge of the Old Testament, and certainly being a Jew, he had, had some. But Paul had, had uh, much more, and Apollos seems to be on that level. And you're going to see throughout the New Testament that these two seem to be very strong pillars as far as the Old Testament knowledge of the Messiah is concerned. So he comes to emphasis, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being, a fer- being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. He spoke and taught. The Word of God here says that he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. It's pretty nice to have the Scriptures say that of you, that you taught accurately the things of the Lord. Uh, though he knew only the baptism of John, that's all that he knew. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He only knew about the baptism of John. The baptism of John is a baptism of repentance. And then, of course, the, Paul comes out. Paul is preaching the baptism of the Spirit. But Paul does not stop preaching the baptism of John. The baptism of repentance is important because you first must get saved in order to then be filled with the Spirit. So the baptism of the Spirit does not circumvent or put away the baptism of John. The baptism of John is one of repentance. If you are going to be born again, you need to repent. And then if you, uh, once you get born again, then you can go on and you can be uh, filled with the Spirit. But God's not going to fill people with the Spirit who have not become born again. You've you got to do that. Now, there's a lot of teaching out there, and some of it's very subtle, uh, we've been hearing some, some things perk up about, about this, and some uh, fairly well-known people in the body of Christ have been teaching this uh, ultra-grace thing in which it eliminates repentance. Be very careful, because some very well-known people in this day and age, and some people that, are, that I've heard people say some very good things about and very well-respected, are teaching this message, that you do not need to repent. Now, not to, I don't believe they teach that you don't need to repent and get saved. I believe that they're teaching more that once you are saved, you don't need to repent anymore. And that's not right. Because the Word of God tells us that if you miss it, the Spirit of God will let you know. The Word of God will let you know. That your heart will let you know. And when you do, you need to correct it. Well, what's correction in the Word of God? Feeling badly about it? That's not, the Word of God doesn't care if you feel badly about it. Word of God cares that you change direction. And that's what it talks about, repentance. And you need to change direction. And so be careful about some of these guys. They may not go by the name of Ultra Grace. They probably don't like that name that's being painted about and put upon them. But uh, anyone who would teach that you do not need to repent would be wrong. And don't give in to it. And if I miss it, I need to repent. Now, don't get into the other ditch either and say, well, if I don't repent on everything, then I've missed it. 
Because the Word of God says that if we have sinned and we come and we confess our sin before God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from most of our unrighteousness. No, it's not. It's what? All. That's right. If your heart is of such that you will repent of those things that you know of and that God brings to mind, He will therefore forgive you the things that do not come to mind because of your attitude for what comes to mind. Now, bear that in mind, because if your attitude is of such things that come to mind and you do not repent of them, then that shows your attitude towards those things that you do not know. If God brings something to mind, repent. Father God, I'm sorry. I did did not mean to do that. I'm going to change that right now. And you just change it. Don't be sackcloth, tears, uh, lamenting, all that sort of It means nothing to God. All he cares about is change it. That's it. Change it. Go in a different direction. Yes, sir. Go in a different direction now. And just set yourself in a, in a, in a different direction. But some of these folks who want to teach this, this uh, gospel of grace, so much grace, just be careful. It's not right. It's getting you off of the word of God. And uh, shall I sin that grace shall abound? Shall abound? What's, uh, what's the word of God say about that? No, <laughs> That's, you should not do it. We should not sin that grace may abound. No, we should stop sinning. That's the whole idea. The Word of God says to be perfect as if God told us to do it, should we not strive for it? Absolutely. So some of these folks are coming on out there and teaching this thing. And um, how many of y'all know grace is a pretty important doctrine? It's pretty important. We need to, we need to be flowing in grace. Uh, but don't be flowing in grace in the wrong direction. Whatever God has, Satan wants to corrupt. He only, cor- he only corrupts those things that are good. Don't let him corrupt it. Stand guard against it. Don't allow these things to come in. So be careful about it. That stuff is out there. Some very, I can mention some names to you, and, but I don't need to do that. You all know what the truth is. Hang on to what the truth is. Don't, don't go off into another direction. Stay with the truth. Does the Word of God teach us to repent? Does the Word of God teach us to correct, to correct our, our actions? To get ourselves lined up with the Word of God? Absolutely it does. And we listen to the Spirit of God. We listen to the Word of God. We listen to other people that help us. Uh, we're pointing out some of the things that, uh, that we should be doing or maybe we're not doing. But whatever it might be, don't, um, don't buy into these kind of things. There is an action that we need to take. There are things that we need to do in this, in this realm of the spirit. There are things we need to do in a physical realm. And uh, don't let people take that away from you or talk you, talk you out of it. So anyway, they landed at uh, Caesarea. They went down to the church at uh, uh, Jerusalem and then over to Antioch. And we have Apollos here. So uh, let's see. We have our map yet? Knocking won't come up. All right, then we'll skip that and we'll we'll find it from another another source. So we only knew the baptism of John. Keep that in mind because that's going to come uh, into play down the road. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla heard him. You see the switch? Now, why do we have a switch now? Because we're going to correct. Um, we're going to correct um, Apollos. All right. Now, this is not just a fact that, well, a woman shouldn't correct a man. 
No, I tell you what, a man should correct a man and a woman should correct a woman. That's just the way it, that's the way it should be. Uh, husbands and wives are a little bit different in there, but uh, guys, don't go off and, and find women that are in error and correct them. And women, don't go finding men that are off and go correct them. Let the men correct the men, let the women correct the women. It's just a whole lot better. And that's what they're going to do here. They're going to see what's going on is wrong, and Aquila is going to take the lead, on it, which he should do. And it has nothing to do with that she can't speak into his life as a woman. It has everything to do with he's a man. Have a man go in there because, and, and, you know, you need a one-on-one session. A, a man in a room with a man, that's not a problem. <laughs> and you just let Aquila get in there and take care of that. But they probably both approached him, which is great, which is fine. They, they, they're both there approaching him. But, um, you know, Aquila needs to be, if there's going to be one-on-one, it's going to be Aquila, not Priscilla. And if there was a, a woman in there, it was a prophetess, then Priscilla would be taking the lead on this one. So this is a great husband and wife team. They're, they're, they do some astounding things in the city of Ephesus and other places where Paul will take them. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now, it is bold to be in the synagogue because we've heard some of the things that have gone on with Paul in the past when you're in the synagogue and you preach Jesus from the Old Testament. They don't take it out too long, too well after a while. But he is very eloquent. That's not necessarily something that's just used to describe Paul. I'm not saying that he's not, but it's not necessarily a, a word that is used to describe Paul, but it is a word that is used to describe Apollos. So when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside. They didn't do this up front. They didn't do this in front of anyone else. They didn't try and, and put him down as a, as a teacher or to correct him in any way. They... Uh, They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. He knew the way of God as far as the Old Testament was concerned and the way of God up to the baptism of of, uh, John, repentance. He didn't know the rest. And to his credit, he absorbed it. When they taught him, he took it in and he he just assimilated it all. Uh, Have you ever had those topics? You maybe a place in school and they were teaching on it and you could just assimilate it real quick and other things that you struggled at. He does not struggle assimilating this. When they come and they teach it to him, oh, yeah, all right, I see that. Uh-huh, yeah, all right, what's, and, okay, I, I can see that. Too. He just took it right in. He just was like a sponge and absorbed it all and had it down and was able to teach it. That's how good this guy was. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. And he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. They were wrong. They were leading people down a wrong path. He vigorously, (laughs) there's a good word for you. He he was not timid about this. He came right out there and says, you guys are, you're leading them in the way of the law. That is not right. They need to go this way. And he showed them through the scriptures and he showed them through the things that God was doing through the ministry of Jesus. And he was very vigorous with it and he refuted the Jews and he did it in front of other people. He was not bashful about this. That is one tough guy who can get out there in front of everyone and, and open up everything he is saying to the uh, critics that are all around. But he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. He showed this from the scriptures. He went back to the scriptures and he looked at all the places that pointed to the Messiah and he showed it to him. 
And they couldn't, uh, they couldn't do a whole lot with that. Now, Apollos, he came over to Ephesus. Take a look at how this, this path of, of his is going. He goes from the northern area of Africa, Alexandria, in Egypt. He goes from there all the way up to Ephesus in Asia. And he gets ministered to by Priscilla and Aquila, who were only there because Paul met up with them in Athens and brought them with him to Ephesus and leaves them there so that they are there when Apollos happens to come in. And when he comes in, they minister, they're there to minister to Ephesus, but they minister to him long enough and they send him on away with letters. This guy's all right. This guy is okay. And he goes from here to a city that you might be familiar with, Corinth. And he becomes extremely instrumental in the things going on with Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, this is the first letter that Paul wrote, chapter 1 and verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of, of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or am I am of uh, Peter, basically, and or I am of Christ. So here's four people that he brings out. The four main pillars that people tied up with or, or uh, associate themselves with in the city of Corinth. Paul, Apollos, Peter, and Jesus. Does that show you what kind of a level Apollos was on? He is on the same level as a Paul, as a Peter, and as Jesus in the minds of many people. This is quite the guy. This is wherever he came from. He, just, he comes on the scene and God just happens to bring him in over here with Priscilla and Aquila who have just a way of speaking into his life. And he just absorbs that. And he goes over into Corinth and he sets that city go. He, he is huge in Corinth. He does an awful lot of stuff. So much so that some people say, well, maybe you were of Paul when he was here, but I was of, of Paulus when he was here. And Apollos is better than Paul. Well, I got all you beat because I was under Peter. And Peter walked with Jesus. And, of course, the super spiritual ones, you know, well, I'm not of any man. I'm of God. <laughs> That's what they are all doing. But this is the a contention that is there. In uh, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted. Paul was at the city of Corinth first, and he stayed there for a time, and he planted the gospel. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So Apollos was actually there longer than Paul was, and he watered the seeds that were planted by Paul so that they grew. So Paul sees this guy is Apollos as uh, he's, a, he's a formal minister. So far, what, you, what we're seeing really in this chapter is that Paul's in a city and Paul leaves and Apollos comes in. And then Paul leaves and Apollos co or Paul comes back to the city after Apollos leaves. And Paul, Apollos goes to a city that Paul had already left 
And he's down in there, and it seems like he leaves again before Paul, before Paul gets back in there. It seems like these guys are always in different cities. <laughs> and there probably is some time when they actually overlap, but it doesn't seem to be too often. But Paul has a great deal of respect for Apollos, and I'm sure Apollos has a great deal of respect for Paul. He was tremendously influenced by people who were tremendously influenced by Paul. Priscilla and Aquila were greatly influenced by Paul. And so they became influential on the life of Apollos. So indirectly, Apollos is influenced by Paul just by the hands of some of his people that he had, uh, he had brought in. So just a, a neat way that God had worked all these, these things out. Uh, one more scripture for you in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Now let me tell you what's going on here in this story. It appears that Apollos was so upset over the divisions that were coming in because I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter. He was so upset, he left the city. And he went to another city to minister there. And Paul writes to him, "Uh, Apollos, you were doing great work over there in Corinth. What they got into, it's not your fault. Go on back there and be that instrument to them. You are just tremendous in that city. They are a problem church. I know that every, everything that Paul does with them, he's dealing with problems, problems, problems. Apollos, you have been great for that church. Get on back there. And Apollos says, I am not ready to go yet. <laughs> Basically what he's saying. And so Paul's writing him and says, he says that uh, he's unwilling to come to you right now. <laughs> Can you understand what he's saying to Paul saying here? He is unwilling to come to you right now. In other words, I am disappointed with you and I'm not ready to go back to them people. I got some good stuff going on here. I'm going to be teaching with these people over here. And when I feel like it, I I feel that the Spirit of God is telling me it's okay for me to go back. I'll go on back there. But right now, it's not convenient. (laughs) So this is what Paul says. I'm trying to get Apollos to go back there to you. And so when he comes back, you know, you treat him nice. (laughs) I'm reading that part of it in there. But uh, I strongly urged him. Can you see this, Paul? I strongly urged him. (laughs) I'd love to see how Paul worded that. I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come. <laughs> I just love the wording that Paul, Paul uses in this. He was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. <laughs> All right, so we get to see a little bit about Apollos. Uh, the book of Hebrews is thought to possibly have been penned by Apollos. Another person is Priscilla. Hey, we got it up there. Where do you go, guys? They were able to get that that going. Uh, But Priscilla is also a possibility. Now, I've said this to you a number of times. I don't mind repeating this. Hebrews does not have an author. People have said that Paul wrote it and didn't want to sign his name to it because they would have gotten mad. That's hogwash. No one writes a letter and doesn't sign their name to it. No one reads a letter unless you know where it's from. (laughs) The people who got the letter of Hebrews knew exactly who it was from. The author just fell off. That's all that it was. The letter to Ephesus was not to Ephesus. It was to a region. And uh, it just started circulating at Ephesus and became known as the letter to Ephesus, but it's actually to a region. That's just where it started circulation. 
Um, so some things of these, these kind of things happen. But we don't know who wrote it. But the people who received the letter did. And it was not Paul. I almost get irritated at people who say that it was Paul. But um, I can't prove by any shadow of a doubt that it wasn't, except that the Greek is different and the ministry is different. And he does not minister to Jewish people. He ministers to Gentile people. That's his goal. That's who he's called to. Uh, the Jews as an overall don't really uh, work that well. It seems, though, that they take it from Apollos a little bit better. So if, if, if someone's going to write them a stern letter and correct them on some things, I think it's going to be Apollos. I think Priscilla seems to have a pretty good influence in there. And she continued the ministry that Paul had started in the synagogues and in other places. Uh, certainly, it could be, be one of them, too. So we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find out exactly who wrote it. We don't have to know who wrote it to enjoy what is in it. Amen. So we just sit on down there and, and enjoy all that stuff. So Acts chapter 19. And it happened while Paulus was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions. All right, now we got our, our part here going on. So um, he was over here in Athens. He went and ministered to the churches that were, were over here. And I'm going to have to try and get you the, a, a JPEG of that somehow. We'll get it to uh, clear, it, clear itself up because it's, it's a little bit fuzzy. And so he went through the uh, areas. He's going he's to eventually get on back over here to... Uh, Ephesus, but you're going to see that he's going to be covering quite a bit of a, of a journey and uh, places he's going to go. So it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So he passed through the upper region and uh, I, I kind of consider the upper region to be more over here, but this is apparently the path that we have him going before he came over here into the area of Ephesus. So we'll have to assume that that is what they mean by the upper regions. He came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, where is Apollos? He's at Corinth. He was at Ephesus. He was ministering there. He is now at Corinth. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. So who ministered to these people in Ephesus? Apollos did. Think about this, though. Apollos is at the place, comes to, the, comes to Ephesus after Priscilla and Aquila. After Paul, after Priscilla and Aquila, he comes in there and then leaves with a Priscilla and Aquila still at Ephesus and then goes on. And there are people in the city in which Apollos ministered to them, but no one else did. Because if Priscilla and Aquila ministered to these disciples, would they not know there is more than the baptism of John? Absolutely would, because they heard Apollos only preaching this and they pulled him aside. You need to teach more. Than just this. So this shows you how fervent this guy is. That he comes into the city. And before Priscilla and Aquila can sit him down. And straighten him out on what all the gospel says. He has ministered to so many people. That by the time Paul gets back there. He will still find some disciples. That Apollos got to. That Priscilla and Aquila didn't. I think that's just remarkable. This guy was fervent. This guy was intense. He'll be a fun one to meet when we get up into heaven. He comes from the region of Alexandria, Egypt. And he 
ministers all the way up there in, in Ephesus. Just, it's just astounding the way God brings all these people together to influence them in the way they would become effective ministers for him. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. He doesn't even say baptism of water. He says baptism of repentance, saying to the people that you should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, here's something to keep in mind. This is how accurate Apollos is in what he is ministering. When he ministered an incomplete word, it was so accurate that all Paul had to do was come in and add the part that was missing. And these folks accepted it readily. Can you imagine preaching the gospel of what you know up to a time so accurately that when the stuff comes afterwards, you don't contradict any of it? If anything that Apollos had taught contradicted what Paul was teaching them now, they would have not received it as readily. That's why they said, the Word of God says, he accurately taught on these things. He accurately taught what he knew, but he did it accurately. So all Paul had to do was come in and say, man, these guys, they know the Word. <laughs> they know what the Bible says about this. All I got to come in is this, oh, but here's the next part. Oh, we're ready for it. Come on. <laughs> that, that just astounds me about Apollos. That even though he didn't know these things, he left the door wide open for it. He didn't try and fill in all that other stuff. Now the men were about 12 in all. So the Spirit of God came upon them. They laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came down on them. They spoke with tongues. They had no trouble receiving tongues. They had no trouble going into prophesying. And the men were about 12 in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. This is in the what city? Ephesus. Paulus is over in Corinth. He went over there. So over in Ephesus. Paul came through here before. He was in there for a short time. They all wanted him to stay. He says, I can't stay. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I need to get there before the feast. So he left and he went on. And so now he's coming on back and he's back in the synagogue. He's reasoning with them and he does so for three months. That's a long time for Paul. Reasoning, persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when they were hardened and did not believe, but when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the, withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So he continues to minister in the city of Ephesus, but no longer at the synagogue. Because they got mad, people got hardened to the things of the gospel. We talked about that before. Minds were poisoned. We went into how, all the process of how that, uh, that came about. And so they had a school that was there. And in this school, they would teach what the school was designed for in the daytime. And then it was empty. And so they would come on in. They used that school as a place to teach. We're not going to use the synagogue. We're going to use the school over here. And so they did that. And this for, continued for two years. So three months he reasoned with them, two years more. So it looks like about two years and three months he's over here in the city of Ephesus. So all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So overall, two years, three months, plus whatever number of weeks he was there before is how long that Paul is here in the, in the city of Ephesus. 
So we put in your outline is how much time was Paul in Ephesus? About two years and three months, plus whatever other time that on the first trip, which was just called a, a short time. So, you know, I imagine that's going to be weeks. At best, you're probably looking at two years and four months, but probably not even quite that long. Somewhere around there. How long was he at Corinth? About a year and six months. He was about a year and six months at Corinth. These are the two places that were at. Look at how God brought people together to influence leaders and fill in what was lacking. God just moved all these things around. When Paul leaves Corinth, he, he, uh, he takes his team with him. And then who comes in to fill in what's missing over at Corinth? Apollos does, but not before Apollos makes a stop over at Ephesus, gets ministered to the part that he's missing, and then heads on over and ministers to Corinth and becomes instrumental in that city. Paul brings Priscilla and Aquila from Athens, and he leaves them over there in Ephesus, and they become huge in, in turning this city around and helping this city. Because at first, Paul's just there for a couple weeks. The rest of the work is being built up by Priscilla and Aquila. So even though Paul was on the move, other people were being brought in. It didn't matter. Again, Paul is not called to one region. He is called to many areas. He's an, he's an apostle. He's to take the gospel message to a lot of places and raise up leaders and that they are to carry the work on. And Paul did it wonderfully. Every time we see Paul, he's, he's got more leaders. He's got Timothy. He's got Silas. He's got other ones. And then he just leaves them there. Titus, I'm going to leave you over there in Crete. In fact, the Word of God says he abandoned them in Crete. He says, man, these people are nuts. I'm gonna, you stay here and you fix this thing up. And, and Titus did. He fixed it up. He got it taken care of. And Paul even writes him later on. He says, I'm amazed that you met me over here. I didn't think you had that whole situation fixed up so fast. But he did. He had it fixed up. And then uh, Paul raised up some other people. Now, some turned against him. Some fell away from the faith. But it, it, it didn't, didn't stop. Oh, nice. There you go. Uh, that's a much more readable one. Yeah, nice job. Um, it's leaders are important. All those people who fell off under Paul's ministry had a place and God was going to use them, but they fell off. And so God would find other people. But no matter what, you see people moving from city to city. The right people were in the right place at the right time. We have been moved around ourselves. We have uh, come into contact with, with certain people, and they've helped us. They've trained us up. They have developed our view of scriptures, and it's been a tremendous for our walk. And we, in turn, run into other people. God brings them along our path, and our goal is to help them. And then they're going to go off, and they're going to help other people. Who are the people that God has brought into your life to shape your life. Who are the people that God is bringing into your life that you are to shape for the future, for what they're going to be doing? Some of them might be young. Some of them might be ready like Apollos. He's ready for ministry now and just need a little bit of tweaking. And then he would just set off to, to go. And, uh, but Priscilla and Aquila had that impact on Corinth, even though they weren't there. They trained up Apollos. And Paul wasn't there for Apollos. Most of the time, Paul leaves, Apollos comes in. Apollos leaves, Paul comes in. It's just amazing how that's working. But Paul had an influence on Apollos. They threw other people. And just, uh, it's just amazing how all this, this stuff works together. 
So we end up being in the right place at the right time just because we're following the Spirit of God. And even though God said, don't teach in Asian before, it was okay for him to teach at it now. And he went on through there and he, he did so. Now you, you'll notice a lot of those cities in Asia, you recognize because John ministered to them. He wrote a letter to them all. Laodicea, Thyatira, a number of these uh, revelations, seven churches are in this place. But what a guy Apollos is. I hope you can see the, the tie-in that, uh, that was going on here. And uh, Paul, without ever having a direct contact with him, had tremendous impact on Apollos' life. And Apollos, in turn, had a great impact on churches in which Paul started. And what a, what a, a neat way that that is to go. Well, we're going to pick this up here in the next time. We're going to see Paul is going to continue his ministry here in Ephesus. Ephesus becomes a very special church to Paul. He just really likes the, the people that are there. He likes their mindset. Um, it just is one of those ones that just really captured him. And uh, he'll, we'll see more of, of things that will be going on here. Paul will spend a lot more time than the two years and three months that he was here this time. There will be other times that he'll be there for, for uh, other engagements. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. You have sent people along our path to be an influence for us, to help tweak us, to help shape us, to help make us ready for the ministry that is ahead. Because we are okay on on certain things. We just need to get over this certain hump. We just need to get this revelation. We just need to get this understanding. And once we get a hold of that, oh, Father God, you can just use us to minister to people. We thank you for it. I thank you, Father, for people in the body of Christ like Apollos who have such zeal. And even though they may not know everything, they have paid attention to be accurate in what they do know. Oh, it's so much more important that we become accurate in what we know than to become inaccurate, dysfunctional in the things that we wish we knew. Father, I thank you that you will help shape us. We will continue to hunger after your word. We'll listen to ministries that you bring along our path and though some ministries that may come along our path may be bringing something that's not quite the word of god we're trained up we're sharp we're ready and we'll know it and we can hear it i thank you for the help that you give us in that in the name of jesus we pray amen